Before we begin our second season, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the current political moment. To start, we want to state for the record that we both strongly support Black Lives Matter. We also want to be clear that we both take it to be an uncontroversial fact that we live in a white supremacy. This isn't a controversial term in academia, in particular when it comes to critical race theory. It's used to refer to the way that our world is structured, namely that society is built to favor white people. One reason that people resist the term, I think, is that it sounds like we're saying that society is a compilation of white supremacists as though secretly in our hearts, we actively wish for the dominance of the white race. And that's a very psychologistic way of looking at things and is just inaccurate. Acknowledging that we live in a white supremacy doesn't have anything to do with everyone secretly actively wishing for the oppression of non-whites. In fact, part of the problem is that to white people, the ease we have compared to other races is invisible to us. We don't even notice it and it seems normal. And just a quick word about privilege. That's not to say that everyone who's white or a man has it easy or is automatically successful. This is a common misconception. We have positive associations with privilege where often you'll hear people use it in a sentence like, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to do this thing that we're actively grateful for. And so I think part of what trips people up about privilege is that it's not a thing we're registering and that's part of the problem. What it means is because of your identity, you have had the fewest impediments. That's just a better way to think about it. And it's hard to register because what you don't see is how many more impediments everyone else has because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or their class or their disability or whatever. To begin to reckon with the fact that we live in a white supremacy, we have to be able to question what we see as normal, to question a lot of what we take for granted. That involves a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of watching YouTube lectures and documentaries. We don't have one or two things to unlearn. We have to reorient our sense of the whole picture. That also means questioning which stories we tell and how we tell them. A lot of what we do on this podcast is about questioning the history of male-dominated stories, which mainly relegate women to secondary characters. In the last episode of our first season, we talked about Spike Lee's 1986 film, She's Gotta Have It, and our discussion included mention of the white gaze, which is just as important to keep in mind. Our Western canon has long been held up as significant in part, so the story goes, because it offers a timeless universal insight into what being human means. Problem is, most of those stories are about white men, and that becomes a problem when we start to see whiteness and maleness as the essential humanity, because other stories seem less universally relevant. How often have you heard a man say, oh, that's a story about a woman, I wouldn't know how to relate to it. Meanwhile, I've never heard a woman say the same thing about a story featuring a male protagonist. What we need to do is question what we find easily relatable who seems quote unquote, easily likable, and to stretch our imaginations beyond what we take for granted as universal and essential. Women and people of color need to be able to see themselves represented in narratives as protagonists. But just as importantly, white people need to see more narratives with non-white protagonists, and men need to see narratives about women and non-binary people. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are She's gotta have it! Exclamation mark! Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of She's, She's gotta, gotta have, have it! it. Exclamation, Exclamation mark! mark. That was um, good. No, it wasn't at all. <laughs> it was very typically terrible. Um, but I love that uh, everything about our openers and closers 
truly display how um, very much we are not trying to be cool. So I really love that about us. I think that that's great. Um, we in this in this episode we are discussing the Swedish miniseries The Bridge. Um, and Lisa Wagner, do you want to introduce our guest? Yes, we have Catherine Jenkins with us. Someone I uh, we ha- we had met doing standardized patient work, and I just felt like I'd known Catherine forever. So, and I love having conversations with you, Catherine. So I'm really pleased to now have one and record it. And I love having conversations with you as well. Ah. Nice to meet the other Lisa. (laughs) Yes. And Catherine, if you just wanted to introduce yourself, you wanted to plug a project or anything, um, now is the time. I am a writer and I have a website, katherinejenkins.com, and I have a blog that I update regularly. I'm currently marketing to publishers a couple of new books, a poetry collection, and a short novel. And I also teach at Ryerson University. I have a PhD in communication and culture, and I teach in the professional communication course at Ryerson. So that's me. And I live with my cat. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Shall we to the what we want? Let's do it. I actually have one that I planned in advance. Should I go first? Please, please. (laughs) All right. I, this was actually earlier when it was storming and it was really dim in the house. And I thought, this is a great day to lounge and watch something. And then I remembered, I I have a lot of projectors because I I work in installations that require projectors. And I have a little Pika projector that they advertise them, like shoot shoot the projector on the ceiling and lie down in bed. And I didn't want to do it in my bed, but in the living room, I set up my existing setup. I just unplugged the projector that normally projects onto the wall and made the little one, projected it on the ceiling, set up my couch perfectly so I can lie with a perfect flat back with my supported head pillow and my knees up. And then I was watching the bridge. I was on, on episode five, looked, staring at it on the ceiling. And I was like, whoa. So it was like the most exquisite body comfort and the perfect place to just look and not have to move or strain at all. And I guess what I want, that what I, that for me, that was this interesting thing. I had the projector, everything already existed in my house. It was just this new, fresh way of looking at it. And I was like, I guess it's almost like now I have, I have almost like, I feel like my self-esteem has gone up. So now I was like, how can I get my body in the most comfortable position possible? And how can I make this the most deluxe for me? So my, what I want is I'd like to have more experiences like that, where with my own stuff in my own home, I just kind of refigure it and then make it awesomer. So that's mine. That's an excellent thing to, uh, to aim for. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I've done that in smaller versions, just like rearranging little bits of my kitchen and stuff. But I really love that with the, with the, with the projector and I'm going to leave the little mini projector set up on the side so I can easily switch to this setup again. So anyway, yeah, it was just a cool, I think that's a kind of cool COVID thing because I am so, so like I've been sleeping so well. I'm really relaxed. I really feel like I'm having better quality ideas (laughs) lately. So awesome. Thanks. Catherine, would you like to go next? Um, <laughs> you can say no. <laughs> you, can, you can go next, Lisa. I'm still thinking. I'm pondering. Okay. No worries. I am also still thinking. So I'll just <laughs> say what comes out of my mouth, I guess, which is what talking is. I want to go to my cottage more, maybe, mm-hmm. because I am, I'm going to my cottage again in a couple of weeks. 
I really, I've been appreciating it more and more since COVID because often my life is busy and booked up and I, I have a lot of things going on in the city. And so when I'm at my cottage, I feel lonely and kind of like I'm missing out on stuff. But I don't have that feeling right now, funnily enough. I'm appreciating it more because I'm also appreciating like the nature. Mm-hmm. I'm appreciating the quiet. And I'm appreciating like literally just being in a different place. Like I really love my home in Toronto, but I also am getting real, real bored of it after staring at these same walls for however many months we've been here and spending so much more time in my apartment than I would prefer to have done. I think it's just, I think I'm realizing how very good my cottage is for me. And I don't have a habit of spending a lot of time up there, but I'm going to make more of a conscious effort to go up there as this pandemic continues. I I applaud that decision. <laughs> I think what what I really want, and this is going to sound really crass, but what I could really use is a few days off. <laughs> so I, I do feel very, very fortunate in that I have work mm. and that I have work that transitioned to the online environment mm. when everything closed up. I've had more than the usual amount of work this summer. And just in the last week, I've found out that I have actually more than the usual amount of work this fall going into the winter so I can kind of breathe a sigh of relief Mm. but at the same time I haven't had a break since January Mm -hmm. yeah I'm looking at wrapping up my summer courses and all of my grading fairly efficiently in the hopes that I can get maybe a week off that'd be nice oh man maybe two you know fall prep is going to be a little bit different and it's going to be a little more time consuming and so I can't Mm. take too much time off or I'll you know hate myself down the road so I am also looking forward to maybe just getting out of town a little bit maybe doing some day trips out of the city Mm. just to change the scenery Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I love my apartment got an amazing south-facing balcony but yeah I could use a little bit of a change of scene as well so that's that's what I would like just a few days off and maybe out of town a bit (laughs) Mm -hmm. nice very nice shall we off to the bridge let's do it want to offer us a quick summary of what the bridge is about so the bridge is a swedish danish i think co-production ran for four seasons and it's on a superficial level it's a police procedural but there's a whole lot more than that going on the sort of two main characters of the first two seasons are um saga and Martin. Saga is from the Swedish side and Martin is from the Danish side. And the beginning of the bridge, although it's much more serious, it reminds me of the opening of the Canadian movie Bon Cop, Bad Cop. Yes! Oh, I just watched that a few months ago. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've got a body that's in Bon Cop, Bad Cop. It's the decision about is the body in Ontario or in Quebec? Mm -hmm. And so who has jurisdiction? In this case, the body is on a bridge that connects Sweden and Denmark, 
and it's exactly on the line of where the boundary is, the border is. So it becomes this question of who has jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And the two police forces end up working together uh, to solve this really large mystery that goes on for the whole first season. And we also see Saga and Martin having to figure out how to work together through that. Mm -hmm. And this is it. We're, as an audience, we're meeting Saga for the first time, but Martin is meeting Saga for the first time as well. And Saga is, you know, in, in the words of one of her colleagues, she's a bit odd. <laughs> and she is. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's what people, for better or worse, would informally say is something on the, somebody on the spectrum. Yep. So we, um, never, we never hear that as an official diagnosis of her, I don't think. But yeah, but she definitely works very straightforwardly, very literally. And it's very clear from her relationship with her boss that he's aware that he has to sometimes intervene and help her anticipate the emotional reactions of her colleagues, for example. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And this is it. As you say, she, she's, she spends all her time in her head right? She's very direct. She's very by the book. These are the rules. The, the notion that people have emotions and that people might respond in an emotional way is something she, it, it's a little bit beyond her ability to comprehend. And we see with her boss, Hans, and also with Martin, we see both of those characters trying to kind of explain stuff to her that most of us in the audience are going to go, well, isn't that obvious? I mean, that, mm -hmm. shouldn't you be careful when you're doing a death knock about someone's wife who's just been brutally murdered? And yet she's like, well, what? There's only so many ways you can say it. What's the problem? <laughs> she's very much in her own little world. Mm -hmm. But I mean, very clear that she's good at her job and that her boss also respects her, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it comes out in one of the episodes that she has uh, a very, very high closure rate. Mm. Um, but we see her as she she's almost obsessive when it comes to work, right? Yeah. Uh, in the first couple of episodes, like how many times you know she's up, she's working, <laughs> she phones Martin at home, and he's sound asleep because it's three in the morning. <laughs> she's still working and she wants him to do something and, or check something right now. And I love those scenes in her place too. She literally is like chewing an avocado over here and then she yep. walks over to it and, and takes a little bit of soup out of a thing and she's got her pants open because yep. she's so focused on what she's doing that literally the rest of the every the rest of everything falls away until she wants yep. sex, then she comes in and focuses for a little bit. Well, and that's, that scene from the second episode is definitely one I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Because what, what happens in, this, in, in, in that particular scene is she is so focused on work, she's reading a, a textbook on the law. Right, and yeah. She, you know, as you say, she's eating a bit, then she comes out of the shower and she's still, she's got the book in one hand but her leather pants that she always wears are I love those pants. Yeah. I know. And pants know, like that. Her, her left hand kind of wanders down the front of her pants and she kind of looks away from the textbook and then she gets this little smile on her face. 
the next scene, she's gone to a club. Mm-hmm. And it's this fabulous scene where she sees a cute guy, she smiles at him. So she's understood that signal, right? Yeah. By smile, that's going to have a reaction. He comes over, says hi. She says hi. He says, can I buy you a drink? Which we in the audience comprehend as, okay, this is the first step. You buy someone a drink, they say yes. Then hopefully over the next few hours, it'll work up to something more. Yeah. Saga, who doesn't understand that dance, she says, no. And so the guy says, oh, really? And he walks away. And she looks very puzzled and then walks after him and says, well, why did you walk away? (laughs) And he said, well, because you didn't want to drink, you know, and she's like, well, I just didn't want to drink. Do you want to come back to my place and have sex? (laughs) (laughs) And he's looking at her like, what is going on here? Right. This isn't how this dance goes. Right. And he follows her out of the club, but he seems a little bit nervous about it a little unsure about what's Mm -hmm. going on and they have you know quite rampant sex after which she pulls up the blanket curls over and falls asleep it's one of the few times we've seen her actually sleeping Mm -hmm. yeah and and he kind of is still looking at her like what's going on (laughs) what just happened a few scenes later And other things, other storylines are going on. But when we come back to them, Saga wakes up and now she's ready to get back to work. She opens up her laptop. She's looking at the coroner's photos, which are quite grisly. Mm. And he wakes up and says, like, what's what's that? And she said, oh, it's just for work. And he looks again and says, what is that? And she says, oh, it's a, it's a corpse. You know? mm. <laughs> He's like, what kind of work do you do? I'm a police officer. <laughs> and he says, do you, want, do you want me to go? And she invites him to stay. And as soon as he finds out that she's looking at these really gruesome coroner's photos, he says, yeah, no, I think I'm going to go now. And mm. off he goes. It's a fascinating little two scenes together Mm -hmm. because again as the audience we're kind of seeing it more from his perspective yes not sure what's going on with this really strange woman who's not doing things the way they're supposed to be done socially Mm -hmm. and there's there's a couple of smaller moments in, in the first episode that I really wanted to draw some attention. One was a conversation she had with Martin where he says, do you have kids? Mm. And she says, no, why would I want to? And he laughs and he says, I've, I've never heard anyone ask that. And she says, well, more people should. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I love that moment because obviously, obviously it's going against gender kind of norms, but just the total lack of any sense of what kind of value children would bring. And then also just her, like, I don't, I don't even know, just more people should just like, because, because the world's overpopulated, because a lot of people are bad parents, like, you know, it's, she's not wrong. I I agree with her, but I, but maybe not quite so harshly. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, you know, you, you sort of touch on something there, this whole kind of almost a notion of, of gender reversal, 
between mm-hmm. Saga and Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she she's the one with the hot car. She's got the Porsche 911. Yeah, I, that was the other scene I was going to mention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't make don't make assumptions about my car. Well, and we, <laughs> I I hope that your police work is more valid. <laughs> oh my god, that was great. <laughs> did find out uh, in season four that she won it on a bet. Oh, I haven't seen someone that far in, ahead. Yeah, someone in the police academy mm. bet her his car that she would not finish top of her class in the police academy, and of course she did. Oh, so she amazing. got his Porsche 911. Yeah. Oh my God, it's such a great car. So great. I, I want that car. I want her pants. I know. Yeah. She's, yeah. I mean, she's an amazing character. You know, as I say, there's this weird, almost role reversal going on because martin is the emotional one Mm, mm -hmm. right he's the one with the five kids yeah (laughs) yeah and you know at one point i mean he's he often is caught laughing when no one else is laughing yes yeah and you know we see him reading the diary from the the murdered prostitute and he's visibly upset and his says like are you crying like Right. Meanwhile, Saga, it's like totally by the book. Mm-hmm. It has to make sense. It has to be by the rules. It, you know, when Martin transgresses, she reports him and it doesn't even occur to her that yeah. that might cause a problem in their working relationship. Yeah, exactly. Her boss has to explain this. So, and it's a great scene with her boss because it really gives like also a sense of her relationship with her boss, right? That he's yeah. like, okay, I need to explain this story. Oh, do you think that will, um, th- do you think that that means he won't like me? Yeah, I think that that's a possibility. He's <laughs> like, don't worry about it. I, I will take care of the report. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll, I'll like disappear. Yeah. Go, no, go ahead. Go I was ahead. Gonna say, it's nice with her boss. It's nice to see that too, because you see a real caring, loving, like kind of like fatherly style relationship mm, yeah. and how he cares for her. And that's also just rare to see and, and lovely to see. Yeah. Just wanted to mention it. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, I, I agree. Yeah. What I was um, going to say, and I maybe you know this, Catherine, I don't know. I, I only learned this. I was at um, a philosophy conference in Finland three years ago and it was in a it is in a Swedish speaking university in the south of Finland in Turku Finland and so I learned a whole bunch of stuff about Sweden that I had never known before because I you know you have vague ideas about Sweden and social justice but it is apparently a mark of like Swedish national pride that they are very good um like sort of logistically under the law and with their policies at trying to make women and men equal, trying to treat everyone equally, right? Hmm. And yeah. so this is also the subtext of this series because yeah. one thing that one of the professors there said to me is that actually makes it really difficult, especially for women in relationships with you know heterosexual men, it actually makes it very difficult then to have conversations with them about the fact that sexism is still very much a thing. Because if somebody's identity is that like, no, 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 I'm not sexist. I believe in women's rights. Then it's really hard to sort of point out, well, you know, here, here are things that you're doing that, that maybe would indicate otherwise or that you haven't reflected on. And what's interesting to me then is that like the, be- the very beginning of the series begins with this woman on a bridge, except that we find out that actually it's two women. Yes. It's, a, it's the Madonna and the whore. Right. Yes. It's the like model politician woman and also the prostitute that this serial killer wants to bring attention to the fact that there's 
real social injustice <laughs> like th through murdering <laughs> he decides to do some consciousness raising about yeah. the social injustice that still exists in sweden that everyone likes to ignore well and i think you know what happens through the entire first season is there are five issues that this you know brilliant serial killer is going to bring to light and it's all about consciousness raising mm -hmm. whether it's about gender inequalities or homelessness or mm -hmm. you know racial inequalities or whatever it is environmental issues and i think one of the really fascinating things about nordic noir in terms of the books and i see it in this series as well is that they're way beyond just being whodunits right yes they are whodunits there is a mystery but right from you know Henning Mankel right up to Hans Rosling and in all these uh, not Hans Rosling wrong wrong reference uh sorry a lot of the other Nordic Moore authors what they do is they use the the genre fiction to point out where are the problems in our society and we see a lot of it around things like racial inequalities and different you know strains between different social classes that kind of thing and that's exactly what they do in the bridge is it's like yes there's a mystery here and it's it's quite complex which i love complex storytelling and there's a lot going on while we're at it we're going to tell you about all the things in swedish society that aren't perfect mm -hmm. that aren't ideal where are the holes still popping up and it is the the tradition i think of really good nordic noir writing that it's more than just a whodunit there's this kind of political awareness or socio-political awareness that happens mm -hmm. too and i and i see that in the bridge it's one of the reasons i really like it it's, mm -hmm. it's intelligently written you know? i find that really refreshing too because often i do like a uh, a mystery and and the crimes are often these horrible horrific crimes like against women or just in general like against people so i felt like while there's still lots of them that fall under that in this i found that that social justice aspect was just yeah. refreshing that at the base of it there wasn't i mean again it is very fucked up but you know what i mean like just a little just a different kind of version of it but i actually found that super refreshing well, the last, the one of the last episodes we recorded was with Marianne about the Americans, which has just come out, in which Marianne points out the trope of the refrigerator woman, which is like grotesque violence against women being used as a kind of narrative trope um, in a really casual way. And what I also like about the bridge is that it begins with this gruesome set of murders yeah. right and the and the staging of it and the performativity of it but mm -hmm. then also is in fact it's sort of the opposite it's it's not the refrigerator woman even though literally half it of literally that woman is, has been yeah. in a refrigerator yeah. <laughs> um because it's it's almost commenting on the fact that that's a trope i feel like the series is almost commenting on the fact mm -hmm. that that is a trope and it's sort of drawing attention to the misogyny yeah yeah there's there's almost like a an incredible sort of self-consciousness a self-awareness about mm -hmm. what they're doing exactly yeah. yeah yeah and 
I also, also just uh, of note that's interesting, and you're seeing it, I see it a bit more in, in American stuff now, but there is the one uh, police officer that walks with a cane and it's not mentioned. It's just like a, it's yeah. just a thing. So yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's nice as well, I find. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's this this recognition that Lars Kepler, that was the name I was trying to come ah. up with. I think Hans Rosling, he's a statistician. I meant Lars Kepler. Um, sorry. Potato, potato. Uh, yeah, no, I was, I, I was, I was, um, aware of that when you know in watching this series that there's this recognition that people are people right yeah. um and that yes the um the reporter's boss the editor i guess she has you know she she has a cane um mm -hmm. and it's just who she is right totally yeah and she's like funky and fashionable with a cane it's just like yep. yeah it's just a it's it's a, a nice thing to see yeah uh, and it is really lovely. I, I think I've watched all seasons and she's in a bunch of them, but no, it never is talked about. Cause I do find that sometimes in North American stuff, they'll have that. And then they mm -hmm. just can't help, but make it a storyline at some point. And it's just, yeah. I think it's just refreshing that it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I agree. I agree. It's just there. Yeah. She's just there. Um, so another thing that I find just another sort of moment that I wanted to bring up from the first season because it's something that we see a bunch of times. And that is that, that Saga routinely changes her shirt. Yes. In the yeah. office. I love that. And I watched it carefully this morning. I thought, yeah, no, what she does is she takes off her t-shirt and puts on a sweatshirt overnight while she's still working through the night. And then she takes off the sweatshirt and puts the t-shirt back on. Most of us, if we were cold, would just put the sweatshirt on over top of the t-shirt. Yeah. But no, she doesn't do that. And there are a number of times through the series where I think at one point even her boss says to her, you need to change your shirt. Like, it stinks, right? And so <laughs> most of us would go to the ladies' room and we would remove our shirt and put on the clean shirt. She never does this. Mm -hmm. She continues her conversation and like a man would, frankly, she yep. pulls on her shirt and puts on another shirt. And yeah. the first time, like we've seen her do it once. The second time we see her do that, Martin is standing right there or sitting there. And they're talking about the reporter who's just been contacted by the murderer. And Saga is saying, yes, I know his work. And Martin says, oh, yeah, is it sort of, is he any good? And at this point, she's got no shirt on, and she's pulling the T-shirt back on, and she just says, entertaining, right? Yeah. <laughs> she's standing there with no shirt on. And Martin, who, again, he's almost, he's meeting her for the first time as we are. And you see him kind of look startled, and then you see him look into the office where everyone else is working and he's like is is anyone else seeing this like <laughs> and and he's trying to wrap his head around it um so it's this lovely you know and and again as you say lisa i mean in an american show it would have been comment worthy right mm -hmm. whereas in the swedish show it's like there's a visual exchange but nothing is said yeah I love, I love that when, mm -hmm. when people really use those moments instead of making it really explicit. Yeah. And, and it's, as I say, it's almost this, it's a part of that almost 
role reversal of these stereotypical roles, right? She changes her shirt in public. She has the leather pants. She <laughs> drives the hot car. Mm -hmm. And she's just being herself. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And when she wants sex, she goes and gets sex. No strings attached. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so interesting because a lot of the things about that we've been discussing um, are things that I naturally do. And I am not yeah. on the spectrum and I can read emotion, but I'm just so inclined. So I'm just like, <laughs> it's refreshing for me. So, yeah. and actually there was one comment. I, I it was at, when she remember she was in the car with Martin and she's like, I had sex last night. Same thing. Like guys tell each other that casually more than, than, yeah. uh, than women that don't know each other. Um, and, and Martin then, just starts laughing. Laughing. Like, you're not <laughs> actually supposed to say that, right? Yeah. There's, there's, you're, you're crossing a, a constructed line yeah. of what's acceptable socially. Well, but especially women, right? Yeah. Well, like, I remember, so I was teaching... I'm I'm still in grad school, but I was teaching a course um, out at a satellite campus at U of T one year, and I had there were I'm I'm in a philosophy department, and I'm mostly surrounded by men. Mm -hmm. And I walked in on one of my TAs and one of my colleagues, like one of the other adjuncts, talking about online dating apps, mm. and I started making a joke about something. And they both just looked real uncomfortable all of a sudden, and I was like, I didn't. I don't think I said anything inappropriate. It was just that I'd said anything at all. Like I had joined their conversation yeah. and suddenly I was a woman having a conversation with them about like aesthetic dating preferences. Like it was just, right. and I remember in that moment, like there are not a lot of moments in my life where I feel that sense of like, oh, you've done something inappropriate because mm -hmm. you're a woman. But mm -hmm. that is one that stands out in memory. Well, and and this is it. Like she is not consciously doing anything to contravene whatever those social norms quote unquote are. Yeah. She's just being herself. And that's yeah. what I love about her. She's just saying and doing what comes naturally to her. And it completely befuddles her when someone says to her, yeah, you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't do it. Cause yeah. she's like, why not? I don't, and then I don't it's hard for people to explain it to her because there isn't an answer that she can understand, right? Well, like, is there an answer we can understand? Well, exactly, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, because you just don't. Like, that's sometimes the answer. <laughs> well, and that's it. Yeah. There, yeah. There, there, though some of those, you know, socially constructed rules are just there. And yeah. they aren't... And are, uh, bullshit. Really makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so I think it's one of the things I love about this character is she's not only calling the people around her, but she's she's saying to the audience, why would you not do this? Why would you not say this? What's wrong with doing this? Really? Like, really? Yeah. What's yeah. the problem here? Right. And that's one of the things I love about her because she really does challenge a lot of those kinds of conventions, like, you know, the, the, the uh, question about why, you know, why would I want to have children? And it's like, I, I get that question, right? Yep. Yeah. I totally appreciate that question. And so she's in her very direct way, she's able to voice these things that no one wants to talk about because it just isn't discussed. And a moment that I was just going to 
bring up as well with with her in the car when she said she brings up that she's had sex and then he said oh what was his name and she's like i don't remember yeah and i guess it was interesting again just sort of a completely different kind of setup but when i was really casually dating actually i think lisa i think it was with you and someone once here someone goes oh that fellow you're dating like what does he do for work and i was like I don't know. We're just having sex. Like, I don't know what he does. And, and people reacted really strangely to that. But I really always had two categories. There was folks I d- dated and folks I had sex with. And some of them were for very long amounts of time. So they were like long relationships, but they were completely of different quality. And they just, so a lot of the stuff is just reminds me of the way that Saga does stuff. And it was just, it is, it is rarer to see a woman do things like that. And I got criticized often for being like a man and, and that that like when, you know, like if I didn't remember someone's name, that was like, I was horrific and there was something like severely wrong with me. And again, if a guy might say that, I'm not saying all, then it might be more like a, you know, like, a, oh, cool. <laughs> like, just, so it's just interesting to get, hear the different reactions from different demographics. And yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I remember when I had a sex life more like that, if I did mention it casually to say a group of traditional women, literally their faces were as if I said something like that I was doing something like criminal or horrible they literally you know so it's really interesting to just sort of hear that and that was really just having casual sex in that kind of way that you see in the show as well where it is this specific thing not a whole emotional thing so yeah yeah and i think you know what against a background of you know mystery fiction or mystery you know tv shows or movies or whatever in a sense we're used to seeing male characters behave in certain ways that she that saga is behaving right mm-hmm. and it it does kind of turn that on its head in terms of well why is it okay for i don't know steve mcqueen to do this but it's not okay for saga to do it that's mm-hmm. a normal standard <laughs> right yeah. um so i i pre i really appreciate that it sort of turns the character on its head, the, the, the gender roles on their head. The other thing is that in the, in the very first episode, we, f- we find out that Martin has just had a vasectomy. Oh, and yes. there's this discussion with one of his work colleagues. And it's like, everybody knows Martin just had a vasectomy. And, it's, and he makes a joke about what was it in the police bulletin or something like everybody knows and his female colleague makes a comment about well you know what happens to cats when they're castrated they they go to you know they become really stupid and lazy kind of thing and he's but that's different it's not the same thing no but it is it does have this stigma of being emasculating Mm -hmm. exactly so we meet martin when he's being kind of emasculated anyway. <laughs> that scene really stuck with me. That scene I yeah. remember, cause she was mean. Cause she said like, oh, goes from like a, 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 a sleek predator to like a chubby couch potato. Like it was quite yeah. cruel it's, and it's, it really stayed yeah. with me. Yeah. 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 But it, 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 again, it shows what is the social belief in a man having a vasectomy but then as the story progresses over the first season, we find out too that his wife is pregnant again. <laughs> yeah. Because, Hence well, the vasectomy something, probably. Something happened just before the vasectomy and it's yeah. like, oh my God. Okay. So in a weird way, like 
he says, well, I got five kids by three different women. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, he's very much this sort of stereotypical male type who can't keep it in his pants. But at the same time, there's this emotional side to him. There's this sensitivity to him. Yeah. And he's trying almost like a parent would. He's trying to explain things to Saga mm. about people and about how people function. She's trying to understand, like, I, look, I'm working this case. Why is your wife calling you on the phone? She yes. doesn't really have anything to say to you. And, he, and she asks her boss, like, does your wife sometimes call you at work just not for any real reason? And he's like, yeah. She's like, well, that seems like a complete waste of time. Like, why, why would you do that? Why would you phone someone if you don't have anything to tell them? It's this interesting, whenever Martin tries to just have a conversation, like, what did you do last night? It, it, it becomes this, she, she just becomes very puzzled because it's like, well, I, I don't understand why you're even asking me that. It has nothing to do with the case, right? Mm -hmm. The obsessiveness she has about what's right in front of her in terms of the case. And talk about no work-life balance, right? <laughs> it's true. She has. No, I mean, there's another scene, I, don't, I can't remember where it was, but with colleagues and they're all sitting and someone said like, so how was your weekend? And she said, I got my period. Like she no. just does it like it's, it's not, <laughs> she has no information about other than work. And then, and then she yeah. doesn't, yeah, she'll just, that's like, she talks about who she laid or if she's bleeding. Yeah. That's her only but other information. It's like there, there are no filters there. Yeah, mm -hmm. right? there are no filters, and that's it. She says, "Well, I got my period," and then everyone gets really quiet. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too much information. Don't know what to do with that, right? No, she's a fascinating character for sure. It, and I think it's really—it's such exquisite crafting because putting her some like in this in a spectrumy place makes it really authentic but then it can be used in this way because i told as we're talking about this i completely make this makes sense that it's like such an excellent device but it's mm -hmm. completely authentic and then the actress is so good and the writing's so good that it feels so 150 percent real and it manages yep. to do all that stuff so that's just so cool yeah mm -hmm. and I, I remember reading an interview with sophia helen who plays saga and she said it's exhausting playing saga because like it's so it she said it's a it, there's a lot of physicality to the role you wouldn't notice it but oh, when yeah. I become saga like my whole body's tense and like my head doesn't move like everything goes yeah. from the waist up kind of thing there's this tension in my body and it's hard it's really hard work it, it was interesting too because it, and I, I forget what it was called but there was an attempt at an American version. Oh my goodness. I, it was, I saw it somewhere and I knew I, I wasn't watching it because I thought I was going to like it at all. I literally was hate watching it from the beginning. It was the worst. It was the worst. The saga was heartbreaking. Oh God. And this heartbreaking is in what way? Can you, can you say more about what? So phony, so oh, on yeah. the nose. So all the things we were talking about, mm -hmm. like if she had a cane, she'd be like, hello, I have a cane. Do you know what I mean? Like so yeah. on the nose. I, and, it, yeah. I tried to watch it. And I don't think I made it through one episode. Neither did I. <laughs> I found it almost unwatchable. And I think it was because the actress, whoever that was, was trying to mimic Sophia Helen playing Saga. That's, that's what it looked like. Isn't that the most creatively yeah. sad thing also? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> it, it really was unwatchable. So that is so heartbreakingly accurate, Lisa. That is. Yeah. 
creatively yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> some that actress probably said, Ooh, this is genius. I'll just copy yeah. it. And that's what that's that's the whole reason why that show just couldn't have worked. Totally. Um, and I mean it really makes you appreciate Sophia Helen and what an incredible job she did on that show. Mm. Like she's awesome. Uh, one of the, one of the other things that came up in in that uh, interview was about the car because the car is like this thing. There's the, mm. there's a whole you know culture that's grown up around Saga's car because it's apparently like a 1970s vintage you know Porsche 911 and people were like trying to figure out which car this was specifically and if it was imported from the states or like where it came from. <laughs> it's like, mm. but the thing is that. It's from the 70s, and this show is filmed in the 20-teens, right? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at a car that's like between 40 and 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And she has to routinely get in the car, start the car, drive away. And it's a 45-year-old car. It doesn't always like to start, right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to do a scene and look cool doing a scene when the damn car won't start right? mm. or you can't get it in gear or something right there's all this fickleness around the car that car really does give her this like rock star status totally. um, when she peels in and peels out of crime scenes yeah yeah this was a novel right this this uh no, no it wasn't it no, it wasn't. It was created as a series by, I think there are two authors. And in fact, one of the authors did write a novel, which I read and I found disappointing. Mm. Is this the, the Swedish Bridge you're talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's Hans Ro Rosenfeld and Camilla Algren. Thank you. Thank you. So Hans Rosenfeld has written a one singular novel. It wasn't great. But mm -hmm. he's done some uh, British TV cop show. And I can't remember which one it was. But I, I think he's just, I think he does, I think he's someone who needs that kind of breadth of a whole series to expand and explore into. Just going to interject. He did the series Marcella. Oh. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Or Marcella. I'm not sure. I yeah, seen it, I so. think it's Marcella. Marcella. It's Marcella. I've seen part of it and it's like, oh yeah. He just seems to be better at that sort of genre. I mean, you know, again, it's a difference between American and European mystery shows that American mysteries, you have to solve a mystery every show. Mm. Sometimes there's an ongoing storyline as well. Yeah. But with these kind of European things, the focus is on the ongoing storyline. Yeah. So you have a story that takes place over eight episode season mm -hmm. or, or longer. And so there's so much room to grow, not only the plot, but the characters. Mm -hmm. It's what, just as you were saying, you know, it came to mind that was American. And again, it was so different, but Twin Peaks was basically one yes. mystery. And then after that was solved, they should have ended the series. But <laughs> But yes. when, but it's just interesting to see how rare that is in North America still, and to, and they mostly are very two dimensional and yeah. glib, and like nine out of ten times it's a dead prostitute at the beginning, and you're just like, come on, it's that refrigerator same woman, refrigerator woman, exactly. Yeah. It's so lazy. It's the laziest American stuff. So yeah, but oh, it's and it's interesting. I had missed. I had incorrectly assumed this had come from a novel because it was so good. Mm -hmm. I realized I had nothing to base that on. That was just an assumption. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But no, because I, I, 
one of the things I've been doing um, in the last couple of years, because my, my, my master's thesis was actually on hard-boiled mystery fiction. Mm. Um, people like Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett, etc. you know. So it's an, air, it's an area of fiction that really interests me and has for a long time. And I, I just I couldn't find stuff that really interested me until the last few years. And I started reading Nordic Noir because it is this kind of plotting and characterization. Mm-hmm. And it's just got so much more intelligence and depth than mm-hmm. a lot of the American stuff does. The British and the European stuff just there's a lot more going on. As I say, it's not just who done it. There's a, always this, this, not always, but often this kind of underlying comment on society. Let's get yeah. you thinking a little bit as a reader about what is wrong with our country or our society that these kinds of social problems are happening. And the mystery makes it kind of palatable Powerful. because it's yeah. genre fiction. So we'll, we'll get you reading a mystery because that's kind of fun. But while you're here, I want to start <laughs> about these serious issues. It reminds me also, there's the, the girl with the dragon, dragon t- tattoo. Tattoo, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that also. Is that Swedish? I can't remember. Yeah. I think it's, it is. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, it's, I mean, definitely in that sort of Nordic noir strain. Mm-hmm. And I think that The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was the book that really kind of introduced, um, yeah, Stig Larsson. That was the, the book and the series of books that really introduced North American markets to Nordic noir. The, the interesting thing that I've discovered with Nordic noir is that there is, some of it is quite serious. And then there's a, another branch that's almost cartoonish. So in the Stig Larsson, in the first three books that that were actually written by Stig Larsson, the first book and I think the third book were, and I haven't reread them, but to me, they felt fairly serious. The second book was like, it was like reading a superhero comic book. You've got this petite woman beating up bikers, Mm. (laughs) like, it's like, right. yeah, I'm having a bit of a hard time with that. Right? <laughs> and, and so I've realized reading a little bit more of that kind of fiction that there do seem to be these two strains, the one being the more kind of serious and more social comment and the other that's more like, yeah, I just can't buy that, right? <laughs> I just, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's like, you know, superhero comics. My favorite stories, there's the plot, but then also what it's about. So I think that that, that really sums up this, this sort of nicely, because it is a really ra- perfectly rounded out and delicious, rich m- murder mystery. And it's about all the stuff we've talked about. So I think that's, yeah, I just love that. And I think for me as a storyteller and filmmaker, that's what mm-hmm. I want to strive towards is always having things that have a story and it's, it is about the story. And then it's also about other stuff. I think that's the best way to communicate stories to humans. I, I agree. And as I say, I love that kind of delicious complexity and there is some humor in it. Right. And I think sometimes humor is a really palatable way of getting in as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, when, when Saga says, yeah, I had sex last night and Martin kind of does a, a double take and laughs, we're kind of going, huh? Uh, right along with him because it, it does make us, it's funny, but it also makes us question why is that funny? 
Funny. And since you mentioned that, I really thought have thought more about his laugh because it's literally girlish. Like it's like you yeah. said, it's like when when other people are uncomfortable. But it seems like that he's a good actor as well. Like it feels yeah. really organic, and he's just uncomfortable and doesn't know what to do. But but yeah, it's literally like his mouth is closed. It's like a tee hee hee with his big eyes. Like it's literally like yeah. a gender stereotype for females. So yeah, I think that's I so interesting. Well, and it, it, there's a whole other thing that goes on that because I mean I don't I don't know about you, but I don't speak either. Danish or Swedish so I'm having to go by subtitles completely mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there, there there's clearly and again I've read some articles on this there's there's obviously a whole other layer of jokes that are going on yes yeah two languages and there's this fabulous scene where you know it's the first time Martin is talking to the rest of the people in Saga's team yes we've you know we've discovered who the legs of this body belong to Martin take it away and Martin sort of says in Danish gives the whole description of the case and everyone's looking at him like what mm. <laughs> and he giggles it's a giggle yeah. right? he laughs and he says oh do you want me to say that again maybe a little more slowly and they're like yes because there's this whole Danish Swedish thing going on too most of us aren't privy to right yeah, which I imagine is a little bit like good cup, bon cup, or bon cup, bad cup, sorry. Yeah, what's the name of that? Yeah, that, that, that there's like some sort of like politics around language and who speaks what where and who speaks what better and who always has to be the one to switch, you know. I know in, in bon cup, bad cup, there's a very funny scene in the, with the two cops are both fairly bilingual, mm. right? but they're in the office of the francophone chief yeah i know the scene starts, you're talking about he starts doing this very dramatic translation of every <laughs> word that's being said from english to french and it's like this heavy drama that he's translating every word and it's so funny because it again it completely targets that whole notion of Tra the translation it's making fun of the translation mm -hmm. and finally his his subordinate says uh, i do actually understand english i can understand what he's saying just <laughs> and the two cops are looking at each other going like my boss is totally crazy <laughs> i think we've gotten through most of my notes are there any final thoughts before we wrap up may we all ride off in the sun into the sunset with leather pants Saga's <laughs> attitude and her car. Yeah. <laughs> That's my final thought. That is perfect. Yeah. There we go. And, and I think this is it. I mean, she she speaks to the kind of she's a superhero or superhero mm -hmm. heroine. Yeah. Um, that we'd all like to be. I think Saga is a very relatable character, even if she's a bit odd. There's a lot she's, going on. She's there. relatable in that, like, I fantasize about being able to be like that sometimes. Yes, yeah. Exactly. To have the permission exactly. to just be myself without worrying about what everyone around me is thinking about me. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh. I, I love her as a character. And again, I think Sophia Helen does just such, such a good job. Incredible yeah. job yeah. with that character. She's fascinating right? And I, I just can't get enough of her, right? Mm -hmm. And as you said, like, it's very rewatchable because there's so much going on. 
in terms of the plot, but also in terms of the nuances of the acting, the way the characters relate to each other on so many different levels. And I, I just, I think it's brilliant. I think it's an absolutely brilliant series. I agree. And I'm very happy to have had the opportunity to talk about it with you. Thank you Thank for you. inviting me. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It yes. Was fun. This has been a delight. Yes. Now, now that, that we've said, said it, it, we've, we've got to get, get it. it.